0: Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I'm your host, Carter Hockman. Joining me this week is former Merrimack College goalkeeper and Hobartman soccer goalkeeper, Cooper Harris. Thanks for joining me, Cooper.
1: Hey, man, how's it going? Thanks for having me.
0: It's going well. Sun is shining. It's, uh, we're getting to that time of the year.
1: Yeah, it's a, thank
0: God. It's about time. Yeah, we we definitely all needed it. Um, We'll get cracking with the first question I always ask everyone, which is when did you know that you wanted to become a goalkeeper and, and what made you want to play the position?
1: Yeah, for sure. So growing up, I played soccer from about age four, uh, ever since I could walk pretty much. And then I kind of got thrown in the net when I was like 11 or 12, kind of stereotypically like I didn't want to really run anymore. I didn't like playing in the field that much. So I went in net and uh, was the best one on the team. So I started to go from there a bit. My dad was a goalkeeper uh, back in high school, and he didn't play in college, but he was pretty good for back then. And uh, he kind of kept pushing me to stay in goal a bit, and I just kind of fell in love with it right right then and there, like throwing my body around, making saves. Um, it was almost as rewarding as scoring a goal for me.
0: I'm sure your dad's going to love hearing he was pretty good for back then.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, – I don't know about now, but uh, back then he was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take it.
0: Um, You're from Winchester, Massachusetts, uh, a rival town of mine, which we'll, of course, get into later. Uh, But there's so many places and people that kids like us could draw inspiration from, whether that be the Premier League, Major League Soccer, La Liga in Spain. Now, I didn't really start following soccer until later in high school, but I'm just curious, who were some of your inspirations growing up?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't really start following it until later either, but the the first person that I fell in love with was Joe Hart, Men's City goalkeeper at the time. Uh, His swag, his composure, him just flying around the goal. I mean, what's not to love about that as a goalkeeper? I thought it was amazing. And just watching him, I just fell in love with goalkeeping even more.
0: I think the first... My first real experience with 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 soccer was I remember the like the first World Cup I ever saw was 2006, and I just every every game I watched I, I further and further was more intrigued by Gigi Buffon, um, and then of course guys like as 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 I fell into the, into the game more in 2010 the guys like you know Carcassius, you just couldn't you had to. Your jaw just dropped any time he threw his body the way he did across the goal line. It was just incredible the things he was able to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, my whole family is Dutch and I have family in the Netherlands. So, obviously, World Cups are, were, are huge for us. And Van der Sar at the time was godly, right? He couldn't do any wrong. Uh, unfortunately, he played for Manchester United, which I guess they have a, a good history, whatever. <laughs> um, they won yeah. a few trophies yeah they've done a couple of good things but uh he was a legend he is a legend and yeah he he was another big idol of mine
0: growing up uh, what age did you start playing club soccer and and at what age did you first really get your taste of one-on-one goalkeeper coaching because I didn't get it until way later in my career
1: yeah so like I said I got thrown in goal probably like 11 12 years old and uh Realized that, that was something that I wanted to pursue and go forward with, so I started playing club. I think a year or two after that, when a couple of my buddies at the time were like, "You should join our club team. Um, we're looking for a goalkeeper. You're great for town or travel or whatever it was at that age." Um, so I joined Sachem's where I didn't I didn't have the one on one goalkeeping coach there Uh, but it wasn't until I switched over to FC Blazers where I really started intense like goalkeeper focused training and that was with actually uh, Diego Fagundes his father uh, Washington Fagundes was the goalkeeper coach back then and uh, we had some great sessions with him and every time I had a session like that I would I would want to play more and I would want to be in that more I would want to be a keeper more
0: so that that was great. What was that first, like, one-on-one experience like for you? Because I can can assume just from, you know, we we grew up in that that era where when we were young, it was all about shot stopping and body shape and positioning. And there wasn't much distribution, so it was a lot of diving. It was a lot of just, you know, position work. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, it was super uh, surreal at first because I had never experienced anything like that. So I felt like I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, there's so much technique, so much footwork, so much proper diving, like just different ways to do it. So I was definitely taken aback at first and the more we did it, the better I got, obviously. And it was more fun at that time. Right. So every time we're doing different dives, collapse dives, different footwork, agility, ladders, all that stuff and getting better and better through the years, it was definitely fun to progress and continue to learn. New techniques.
0: Yeah, you never really realized how complicated it was to fall until you became a goalkeeper.
1: Well, you know, and you know field players always give you a hard time. It's like I would love to see any of them do a serious goalkeeper training. You
0: know, I've if I had a dollar for every time I'd say that. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: I've, they don't give us any credit, man.
0: None. Um, not until it matters. Um, <laughs> I've had a few conversations with other goalkeepers on the podcast. We've talked about the benefits of of playing multiple sports growing up along with maybe, you know, finding the time, finding that time to decide on a sport and putting all your focus into, into the one position. I'm interested in your take because I've sort of come to the conclusion that I waited maybe a little too long to decide on, to decide to focus on soccer and goalkeeping.
1: Yeah. I mean, growing up, I played a ton of sport. I played pretty much every sport. My dad played every sport and he wanted me to do the same. So I was playing soccer, baseball, I played lacrosse. I played football. Uh, I played ice hockey. I mean, I did basketball. I did all of that. So for me now, it's looking back, obviously it was super helpful with different like aspects of all sports. It's just agility or different ways th- to be athletic. So I think it was super beneficial, but I didn't really stop and focus on soccer specifically until probably freshman year of high school when i decided like college soccer was definitely an option so it i think i was a bit late to the process too honestly because i felt like sophomore junior year i wasn't at the level that i wanted to be compared to you know goalkeepers that i've seen on other clubs or uh, other towns or yada yada so I think it's good. It's definitely beneficial in terms of athleticism, like raw athleticism and, and talent, but in terms of a soccer aspect. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's better to focus on soccer as much as possible. So I think, I think it's definitely an interesting topic and I would love to hear like your opinions as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you think freshman year was late to decide, I didn't decide until maybe midway through my junior year of high school that soccer was the sport I wanted to stick with. Um, And I talked about it with with Robbie Montanaro, who I'm assuming you may know, actually. Um, And, you know, I I realized that if, you know, there was there was a point where I I had I'd been in denial for a long time that that I thought baseball was still going to be it for me and that I that I enjoyed soccer. But, you know, I wasn't I wasn't the guy. I wasn't the star. And I was hardly the star in baseball. But, you know, I thought I think I thought I was better than I was. And there is a point where you can only gain so much um, from continuing to play those multiple sports, but more and more these days, I feel like kids in high school have, have started, have decided to focus on what sport they want to play in, you know, middle school um, or the, you know, they've made that decision long ago and they're trying to be better than the rest and focus and put on, put all their their time and energy and resources into that one sport um, which for some kids you know it's it's a double-edged sword it can you can become really talented at that sport and that position or it can take the fun out of it for you um which i think is is the importance of trying multiple sports a it's fun and there's a lot of crossover in terms of uh training that you might not otherwise get just you know training as a goalkeeper per se um but that's just you know that's just my take on it
1: yeah for sure and like obviously it's important when you're young to to really understand what you want to get into and if there's a sport that you want to particularly pursue. Um, but yeah, freshman year, I played basketball as well. And I realized real quick, that's just not what I wanted to be doing. So I guess that was, that was the moment for me that I really decided that I was going to focus on soccer.
0: Well, what was your first experience like when you first got to high school? I Well, I asked for, for two reasons, really. The first being, I just remember Winchester was already very competitive with soccer. And the second being with Lexington being equally competitive, I started out on the freshman team.
1: Yeah, so luckily enough I was right on to varsity, freshman year. Um I was back up to Chris O'Connell who was at the time was a senior, I believe. So obviously I I wasn't gonna play, but it was awesome to be like part of the team and that made my (laughs) ego enormous. (laughs) So it was nice to it was definitely nice to be varsity on fresh freshman on varsity but um i think at the same time it kind of hurt me in the long run which is interesting but yeah winchester also like was a for massachusetts has very good always competitive team always pushing state finals state semifinals and all of that so yeah i knew going into that that we were going to it was going to be a battle the whole year
0: if you could go back to your freshman year of high school, would you choose to play varsity again and, and go back the way you did, or what would you do differently?
1: I would. Pro- I would probably go to JV just for playing experience, um, just to be in the goal the whole time and not just watching. You know, because th- those are those are the moments in in your development where it's just it's just so crucial to be on the field at all times. And just playing as much as you can. So I definitely would, I definitely missed out on playing when I was a freshman, but it was great to be with the boys in the in the best uh, level for, for our town. So can't complain there either, because in training, you're doing the same things, but it's not, it's just not the same as uh, being in the game, you know
0: yeah absolutely i mean, and you 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 kind of hit the nail on the head there like especially those first i think two years of high school are incredibly formative for you as a player um and and especially in your development because like you said you mean you can get a lot out of training, but you're not going to get the same uh intangibles as you would in the middle of a game a hundred
1: percent yeah exactly that you
0: no, know, I mentioned it earlier, uh but you and I had had one hell of a rivalry in high school um we we were almost predisposed to it because it's not like we, we were you know it wasn't a rivalry between you and me I didn't know who you were at the time it was it was a rivalry between our towns uh but I want to ask you because I'm curious what do you remember from the times that we played each other
1: yeah it was just it was a battle man Lexington was always like the game for Winchester you know it was like you guys were d1 we were d2 so it was always we're playing up, but we know we can hang with these guys. We know that we can beat these guys. So I just remember sophomore year, senior year, we were just – we'd just give it all, you know. So we would have team dinners and stuff before that, coaches and everything hyping us up, tense practices all week and build up to the game. I mean, those, those, ga- those were the games that you lived for right in
0: high school. Like, those were the games. Yeah, they were – I I can't even really – describe it in a word it was it was just one of those like you're right it was one of those games where you it felt different leading up to it
1: a 100% like literally you see you get the schedule in the beginning of the season and you just say all right when are we playing lexington when are we playing you know reading or woolburn or these other serious teams that you know cuz you have teams like stoneham where you're going to beat them 8-0 every year like okay but then you have teams like lexington Woburn. Reading that they're going to put up a fight and it's going to be a great game so those those were the games that you wanted to play and and be part of especially going forward into like tournament time i think senior year we played or my senior year we played you guys uh
0: at the end of the season
1: and uh it was it was pretty much a tournament game
0: they were yeah it was it was a tournament game no matter when in the season you played it and and as a goalkeeper I just know that, that those are the games where I know I I, I I turned it on. And it's not like, you know, you, you're, you're more jittery going into it as a goalkeeper, but you're just tunnel vision. Nothing, nothing. You can't hear anything else. You can't hear your coaches. You can't hear the fans. It's tunnel vision the entire time from the first whistle to the last whistle.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly it. I mean, you're so focused on the ball the whole time. Just you don't want to make a mistake. You want to show off. You want to make that one flying save in the top top right, you know? So those were the moments for me. And I, and I remember one game, I had like maybe 16 saves or something against Lexington. It was just an unbelievable game. And I think we ended up tying either 0-0 or 1-1, but it was just such a hard-fought game. And it was just so much fun to be a part of, you know, as a goalkeeper. Those are the games that you live for. You're sweating. You're so hyper focused on what you need to do
0: Uh, that's what the position is all about basically if you could give a piece of advice to any younger goalkeeper about going into those games like that because they can be nerve-wracking you know you can be jittery you can be hyper focused on trying to not make a mistake but what would you say is the key to, to to getting into those games where you know it means more
1: for me it's just I always had a routine right whether it's like you put your left boot on before your right boot left glove on right glove on for me i always take a deep breath touch both the post crossbar and that's when i really lock it in right so you just stick to what you know stick to what you're doing and and in the end you're gonna be just fine right so you you build yourself up or you get all nervous for these moments and it's like for what right yeah it's gonna be a big game but you're there to do what you're supposed to do what you love to do right and so if you're doing that the whole time, yeah, you're not going to have a
0: problem. The second year we played against you, my senior year, uh, you were a year below me. Uh, at that time, I remembered, I remembered who you were. And I, I think you and I were dueling for being the best two goalkeepers in our, in our conference or in our league. Um, so I knew we had to step up our game. But it was also the year that you guys had a really tragic loss at your school. Um, I bring that up because I want to know what that moment was like for you as a team and for you personally as a player. Because as goalkeepers, we, you know, as we talked about, we can't afford to be distracted even for a minute. You know, How did you tune out what was happening at your, at your community and, and turn on goalkeeper mode?
1: Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely a tough moment uh, for the whole community. Um, losing a kid like that in high school, is just, it's just tragic. You know, like you said, um, I, and I remember the day so vividly, we actually had a, we had a game that morning and we all showed up to the field and we're huddling around and nobody had even actually heard the news yet. And so obviously that game got canceled. We were all there as a team together in that moment. And I will, I'll never forget it. Um, it was incredible just the camaraderie and the brotherhood and that's what's so special about being on a team like that you know so you always have those brothers for your your whole life and you know that these are guys that they're always going to have your back no matter what Um, but yeah so moving forward with that obviously there were services and memorials and everything like that but at the end of the day right you have a you have a game to play that weekend and you got to go out and give it your best whether you do something like tape your wrists and you write initials or something like that in honor of a fallen classmate peer whatever well you got to go out and you got to show out right um, you got to put all that past all that stuff in the past behind you and just you just got to move on and keep your head up and stick to what you what you do best and that's being between the
0: pipes and stopping the ball from going in the net yeah I, I know just from from my personal experience I remember that I remember that day vividly as well. And I remember just, you know, reaching out to a couple of friends of mine from, from Winchester and, and checking in to see if they were okay. And it really was the whole community that, that took a hit um, just from, you know, and from, from personal experience as well, going into my senior year of high school, our head coach, who was, I think he was 32 at the time. He, he passed away. He had a stroke and he passed away and the entire, the that entire season was for him. And it really, it is, a, it, it can be a source of motivation um, because you want to honor their memory and you want to make sure that, you know, they those two people, um, you know, they put in everything they had into what they loved. And you know that the best way to do that, whether that, you know, regardless of the sport or the position that you play is to put everything you have into it. Yeah, 100%.
1: I remember you guys had those patches uh, that year. Mm -hmm. on the jerseys and everything like that. But yeah, like you said, I mean, these guys were symbols almost of, of our respective towns, you know, so you, you, you do it, you continue to play and be the best you can for your town to rally the people around you, to rally your friends, to rally the whole town, right. To just keep going forward.
0: Absolutely. Um, After your senior year at Winchester high school, You decided to do a fifth year at Cushing Academy. What went into that decision?
1: Yeah, for sure. So,
0: like I said, freshman year,
1: varsity, my ego was through the roof, right? So I I basically took four years off from school um, (laughs) while I was at Winchester, just on vacation mode, pretty much. You know, I was the, the goalkeeper. I was the captain senior year, wasn't worried about classes, wasn't worried about anything like that was just focused on playing soccer to the best that I can be. And I remember junior year, they released our GPAs and I was like, well, that's not going to do it. (laughs) So senior year, I was pretty honed in on doing a fifth year. Uh, My actually my father did a a fifth year as well. And so he was super influential in doing that. And uh, yeah, it it was a combination of, well, my grades aren't going to really go get me anywhere. And I haven't really got the offers from the schools that I want to go to for soccer, partly because I already had a knee surgery. Um, So it just made sense for me in the moment to do an extra year, work my butt off in the class and on the field in order to get the best results possible after that.
0: You know, everyone's recruiting story is unique in its own way, but I'm curious to hear about yours just because I never did a PG year, which I'm assuming probably would have helped my recruiting process feel a little bit more concrete than it was.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I am a strong supporter of a post-grad year. Everybody I've ever talked to about doing it, I've, I've uh, promoted it fully. A hundred percent. I'm, I'm totally on board with the PG years. Um, for me, it was tough. It was really tough. We had a great coach that recruited me before I got there. Coach Shea who played at BU for four years with his brother uh, had a lot of great connections in Division One and across the board, pretty much. And um, he actually left in the summer before I got there, which was heartbreaking for me, honestly, because I was like, wow, there goes my uh, my whole recruiting process, basically. And uh, so getting to Cushing, um, we had a new coach, Coach Zahn. He was a great guy, great guy, had a lot of connections in New Hampshire, UNH, uh, Franklin Pierce, had some connections with Merrimack and uh, some Northeastern, I think, and a couple other schools in Mass. So I was like, I, I lost the worry a bit and I was more focused on using Coach Zahn as a as a resource. And uh, by the time it was time to commit to a school, I, I was really torn between even playing soccer in college. I had a bunch of schools that I wanted to go to and just be a student, maybe play club soccer, maybe even walk on, but really soccer wasn't even at the forefront of my uh, planning until one of my friends at Cushing was like, oh, I'm committing to Merrimack to play soccer. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I reached out to coach Martone in Merrimack and lo and behold, he wanted me to come there, gave me a good offer And I was like, you know what? Let's just do it then. Because I wanted to keep playing at the highest level I could. And it just felt like it it was the right decision at the time.
0: So you mentioned your first knee surgery, but you ended up having a second. Um, What was going through your head when you knew you had to have surgery the first time versus the second time? Uh, What was that mental process like?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the first time going into junior year um, at captain's practice, actually, which was just Brutal. Brutal. Um, I didn't really think it was going to affect me that much. And I was super focused on recovery, rehab and getting back. Um, I knew I was going to keep playing. So I wasn't too worried about it. At Cushing, I talk about playing another sport. I was playing hockey, actually, when I hurt my knee again. And uh, I knew in the moment that I tore it, that it could be serious trouble. So I had the surgery that fall that uh, spring, and was pretty pretty much hundred percent ready for the fall going into Merrimack, um, which inevitably ended up with me redshirting because I I wasn't a hundred percent ready. Uh, but yeah, I knew the second time was gonna be a lot worse than the first time for sure.
0: I'm going to leave this a little bit more open-ended, but just talk to me about your time at Merrimack. How how would you describe it? Honestly, looking back on it, I wish I uh,
1: just appreciated what I had in the moment. I think my time at Merrimack was great. I mean, obviously, coming in as a freshman and redshirting is never ideal, um, and I don't think anybody ever signs up to do that, and if they do, good on them for being incredibly mature. Um, so yeah, that was obviously hard to swallow at first, but when I realized it was for the betterment of my development and the potential to be the best goalkeeper that I could be, I felt like it was worth it. So freshman year, I redshirt, uh, and we ended up winning the ne 10, which was unbelievable. I mean, it was so much fun just being part of that team, probably the best team that I've ever been on. I mean, we had an unbelievably talented team. And it was uh, just so much fun to watch and be part of the practices every day. So going into sophomore year, um, I was a bit more excited. The redshirt year was over and I could finally prove myself. We still had a kid older than uh, a grade older than I was. And he was he's a great keeper. So I knew uh, chances for me to play were limited, but I was going to definitely fight for it. And uh, we ended up having another great season. I didn't play much, but we went to the 90-10 finals again. And uh, unfortunately, lost to Adelphi. who's was probably one of the best D2 teams in the country. So, I mean, two great seasons back-to-back. You can't really ask for much more.
0: Now, not everyone gets to be at a school as they transition from Division two to Division one. My freshman year at UMass Lowell came after their first full season as a Division one program. So they were entering their second season. What was that transition like, just, just experiencing it as a whole? Yeah, it was
1: definitely uh, really interesting. I, coach Martone, Merrimack coach, at rec- when he was recruiting me, had mentioned something about it like, oh, we're going to look to go to D1 in the next couple of years. So obviously I was jazzed and I was like, of course I want to play Division one." The more I learned about it, it the more it seemed uh, like it wasn't necessarily like the best option with the whole transition period and not being able to make the NCAs or not being able to make the conference playoffs, that was a big factor in why I decided to uh, to move on from Merrimack.
0: Yeah, that was definitely an interesting experience because I'm, I'm sure you remember my, uh, my sophomore year at Lowell. We finished nationally ranked third in the country. Yeah, one of the best we... teams in
1: the world. In the whole country, yeah.
0: We we finished 13 one and two. We won the regular season by a landslide, um, and couldn't go to the conference playoffs. And we couldn't, no matter how well we did, no matter it didn't matter that we were third in the country. We we didn't get an NCAA bid because we, you know, there's a probationary period. Um, yeah, and
1: that, and and that's the exact same thing that happened to Merrimack too. You know, I mean, last year or not? Yeah, last year their first year in Division One, and you see they go undefeated. They don't lose a game. Right, I remember. so it's just it's just a. I think it's a very very interesting rule, uh, especially if you have proven yourself good enough to go up to D one. I don't I don't understand. I really yes. don't
0: understand the whole rule of why you wouldn't be able to
1: make it to the tournament.
0: So just from my understanding, like instances like like you yours and and mine are rare. Usually, what happens, and just from just from my understanding of the NCAA's rules here. What usually I mean, usually what happens when a when a school makes that jump is they don't do well at all. And usually what it means is if you were to be able to qualify uh, for the for your conferences postseason, you'd likely come in last and boot and, and bump up a team that normally wouldn't have made the postseason into the postseason.
1: Yeah, no, and I, I, I totally understand that. Just it seems obviously difficult from the perspective of what you and I have is when you have a really good team that's super competitive already right off the bat, it seems a bit har- uh, unfair, you know? Yeah.
0: It's a it's a little harsh, but you know, that's it's just part of the deal right now and we'll see if it changes, but you end up having a third knee surgery. What was going through your mind then? Yeah. So that was brutal. That
1: was probably one of the lowest moments uh, in my whole career third knee surgery at this point they had tried to repair my meniscus this is what i've torn i've torn it twice now they had tried to repair it both times so i go to a third doctor um obviously it's beyond repair this time you know so they just get rid of it completely so that i was happy about so there, yeah. it wasn't going to be a fourth tear you can't tear it if you don't have it yeah exactly so that uh, that i was happy about but I knew the road to recovery was just going to be even longer and even harder. Thankfully at Merrimack, I had a great training staff and I was back out there within a couple months. If you just take it out, it's a a bit of a less, less of a recovery time. So I I was running and with the ball, you know, a bit quicker than I was in the previous two, but I just knew that my coaching staff and Honestly, my mentality was just not going to be where it was at before, previously, you know. So mentally, that that was
0: the hardest moment of my career. So, you know, tacking onto that fact, you had mentioned, you know, you had, it was time to move on from Merrimack, and you decided to land at Hobart. Um, what you know, what drew, what what went into that decision, and what drew you to Hobart?
1: So yeah, so that was a. Uh, a bright spot in what was a really dull couple of years for me um it was a combination of transferring or transitioning to d1 which it just felt like we weren't really competing for anything not being at the level and ability that i felt like i was at in the past two or three years and just wanting to play you know so that's the, that's the three that it came down to and i As for my transfer papers, I started emailing coaches again. I started talking to my friends that I knew at other schools um, about their programs and whatnot. And I ended up at Hobart because it was just an amazing feeling when I was there talking to the coach. The facilities were great. The field is great. And everything there seemed like the perfect opportunity for me to continue my career.
0: Now, after your first semester with Hobart, you decided to actually end up leaving the program. Can you just talk about that?
1: For sure, yeah. And so I actually transferred there with my roommate from Merrimack, Liam. Um, We transferred there together and it was great. Right at the beginning, it was amazing. Like the team, we worked our ass off. I mean, I've never, even at Merrimack, I, I hadn't seen that kind of commitment to a soccer program ever Um, maybe it wasn't the most skilled team ever but the work ethic was unbelievable so we were there for a couple months and my friend Liam unfortunately had a heart issue so he was on the field one game and fell to his knees and was grabbing his chest and it was just incredibly hard to watch and be in that moment and we had nights where you know he would be waking up in the middle of the night and had chest pains and I would go get my car and see like to bring him to the hospital if he needed it or anything he needed. So we were, we were really battling a bunch of different obstacles, trying to make new friends, trying to figure out our classes, trying to, you know, go to practice and games and road trips and all that. So the, the stress and the, you know, mental obstacles that we faced within a, such a short amount of time. And that inevitably led to, me feeling like it wasn't the place that I wanted to be anymore. And it wasn't making me, it wasn't, I wasn't bettering myself by putting myself in a position like that. And that's,
0: that's, I mean, I can't really speak to that. Um, I mean, it's incredibly mature what you did and, and incredibly hard what you went through. Um, I, I just, the only thing I can relate is, is going back to when, I found out that my, my coach who had basically changed my life, my junior year of, of, of high school uh, just, you know, suddenly has this massive stroke and, and is, is, you know, not going to make it. And it, it, you, you, you go through a judgment call there. You're like, all right, well, I have two choices. I can take this in stride and, and use it as motivation, or I can decide what's going to be best for me in the long run. And, and if my mental health is going to continue to suffer, then I just need to remove myself from it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that was the thing, you know, so we obviously transferred there kind of as a package deal, which was amazing because we had been roommates the year before at Merrimack. So we were ecstatic about it. And, uh, you know, he was my person there, right? We were each other's people. We were each other's rocks. We were the people there constantly, no matter what happened throughout the day, throughout the week, that we could just vent to. We could just laugh with, with each other and just have those moments that weren't on the field, but would help us keep our mentality straight and keep our focus so when I lost him he went back to Amsterdam probably about a month before I ended up leaving Um, when I lost him there I mean my mentality just kept going further and further down and I just felt like it wasn't a spot it wasn't a place where I was bettering myself and I was struggling with academics and practice and games I I wasn't in the spot that I wanted to be with on the roster and uh yeah inevitably I just just called it quits and I said you know what this has been a hell of a career and I'm gonna move on to bigger and better things and
0: and what you know what what helped you what what helped you pull yourself out of that hole you know I was so like
1: angry and upset for a while but then I realized you know some things you just can't you can't hold like over yourself you know you can't blame yourself for these moments right Mm -hmm. and you have to keep moving forward and one thing i just did i wanted nothing to do with soccer for a while uh, until i started getting back into you know premier league i got a job with the revolution i got a job coaching and i got back and back into it and and it just made me happy again you know so those are the things those are little things that you just got to keep looking for those happy moments where you can just feel yourself getting back to the back to normal back into the swing of things and i ended up transferring to lowell just to finish my degree and working part-time for the revs working part-time for red bull and just enjoying enjoying my time
0: talking about goalkeeping specifically it's not a secret that goalkeepers and the position itself it's 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 incredibly misunderstood um what would you say is one thing that's a common misconception and one thing that you wish people knew about it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a common misconception (laughs) is that all goalkeepers are crazy, right? So you at some, to some degree, yes, you have to be crazy to put yourself in, in front of these shots in front in the goal. Like nobody wants to do that, but at the same time, I mean, we're people we're going to make mistakes you know we're we're battling mentally physically everything just like everybody else so i feel like goalkeepers are held to like an outrageously high standard at times you know so it's like if one little mistake like you saw it with the us u23 goalkeeper the other day right mm-hmm. passes out trying to make a pass out of the back honduras striker blocks it just goes right into the net right i mean unfortunate stuff like that happens i can't even imagine the messages and stuff that he's getting the hate it's just crazy
0: that was that was really hard to watch um and any and you you could see how he you could see he it it just hit him like a ton of bricks at the end of the game and he realized that you know that moment probably cost you know the youth national team the olympics this summer
1: yeah um, for sure but... and
0: and and you know what you can't even
1: it's obviously it's easy to point a finger at him but Listen, if you're the right back, you can show down a bit more, open up the lane a bit, you know. So there's just stuff like that. It's like, yeah, it's easy to point finger to the go- at the goalkeeper, but in reality,
0: it's a collaborative effort from everybody on the on the field. So yeah, and it's unfortunate that it's such a concrete moment that that anyone who either follows soccer or doesn't really follow soccer, they can point at that moment and be like, "See, that's where it went wrong." But but like you said, you know, I think that's one thing that gets that gets overlooked with the goalkeeping position is, well, yeah, maybe his right back could have checked down and opened up a lane or his center back could have dropped, uh, dropped to the 18 and, and, you know, given him a second option or, you know, there's, there's so many things, you know, or the forwards could have capitalized on their, on their chances in that they had in the game. And it's, it's the goalkeeper is the scapegoat.
1: Always the scapegoat always will be.
0: That's, that's a great, that's a great place to end it. Um, Cooper, (laughs) Thanks for coming on today. It was, it was a blast. Hey, man, I had a lot of fun. Guys, this has been another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I've been your host, Carter Hawkman. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps.